0: Have you ever been sick at a really inconvenient time? I mean, I mean, you're thinking, no, not now. Well, When my kids were younger, we uh, planned this trip to go to Disney World, and we'd planned the trip for a long time. When the time finally came and, arri- and we arrived in Florida, I got sick. And of course, you're going to Disney World and the kids are beyond excited and you just, you feel horrible that you feel horrible. And so on the day that we went to Epcot, it was so hot. And, and I was dragging myself around the best that I could trying not to seem like I was sick. But finally, at one point, I remember saying to my wife, Jen, I just need to lie down just for five minutes. I just need to put my head down and close my eyes and then I'll be fine. And I could barely walk at that point. Well, Epcot doesn't have any areas where you can just lay down on the grass. All their grassy areas are roped off or fenced off so that, I guess, sick people can't just lay on their grass. And so I spotted this bench in a shady spot that was out of the sun. And And I I just in the middle of all of these people, I just lay down. I didn't, when you're sick, you don't care what anybody else is thinking. And so I just collapsed in this bench in the middle of a crowd. And Jen and the kids, they were sitting on another bench just waiting, just about a hundred feet away, and 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 they were watching and they were laughing because as I lay there, People were staring at me. They were, They were. were. I think they thought I was just passed out, that maybe I was drunk or something. And so Jen said people would walk by and as they came down the path and they saw me, they would go out of their way to swerve all the way around and stay as far away from me as possible, kind of looking at me weird. If parents that were walking with their kids, holding their kids' hands, as soon as they saw me, they would switch hands so the kid would be on the other side to kind of shield them away from me. And it was was just this really odd, odd scene. But context matters. Context matters. I mean, if people understood how sick I was and just needed a break, they wouldn't fear me or they wouldn't feel the need to shield their kids away from me. I wasn't this dangerous drunkard who just couldn't make it through the day at a theme park without getting hammered. Context means everything. Context matters. In the same way, the way that you were raised within the church or or where you grew up gives you context of some of the things that you understand or you learned about your faith. One of the words that seems to have multiple meanings when it comes to the church world is this word, blessed. Blessed is a word, you don't even just find it within the church, It's it's a word that you find out in the culture. I mean, it could be somebody on vacation, and all of a sudden they post a picture of themselves laying by a pool with a drink in their hand, and they put hashtag blessed. Or, or, or someone will post a status saying that they got the, 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 the closest parking spot to the door at Walmart during the Christmas season, hashtag blessed. It's a word that people throw around for anything, anything that's good, big or small, that happens in their life. But truthfully, I don't know if we always understand what this word means. I mean, perhaps it goes back to the way you, you grew up or the church that you attended. For some of you, you came up in a church where this idea of God being a blesser is foreign. You were never taught that God gives good gifts to his children. You thought of God as a rule enforcer who, who was just watching from above, waiting for you to just step in a line. Your job was to stay inside those lines. But the other extreme is this. There's a teaching where everything is about the blessings of God. There are some churches that focus exclusively on the gifts of God and how I can receive them rather than any focus on the giver of those gifts. And they teach that if you don't have enough money, then perhaps you're not seeking the blessings of God hard enough. Or you should be driving this type of car by now because God wants to bless his children with the best. Now, both theologies are extremely dangerous. Both of these theologies are harmful and destructive. But somewhere in the middle is this understanding of the blessing of God. So, over the next month or so, we're going to be looking at God's blessings in the different areas of our lives. Now, there's no doubt 2020 was a tough year. And maybe all your hope right now is, oh, we just made it to 2021 2021, because 2021's going to be so much better. We're going to be so, more, so much more blessed than last year, you're thinking, which shouldn't be too hard because the bar is set pretty low. However, when you understand the blessings that you are surrounded with, you, you have this whole new outlook and expectation for this year. And perhaps you have a better understanding and appreciation of what God was doing to bless you last year despite the circumstances. See, I don't believe that blessing is the parking spot that you get. Or I don't believe that, that blessing is getting that one shopping cart that doesn't have that weird clunky wobbly wheel. I do believe that God wants to bless his children, though. The book of James says this in James 1.17. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. And once you really believe this, that, the God, that God wants to give his, his children good gifts, this is going to mold how you understand this word blessed. The word blessed is significant in the Bible. You're going to find it over 500 times throughout the word of God. You'll see it written in different ways, as blessed, blessed, blessings, blessed over 500 times. And it's an important word. So in order to get the proper meaning for it, I want to look today at the book of Psalms. Now, if you're new to church and you have a Bible, you can open your Bible. And if you open up right to about the middle, you're going to be there or pretty close. We're going to look at Psalm 103. Now, the Psalms are written primarily by this guy named David. And David was a, a very famous person in the Bible. He was he, He's the one that defeated Goliath the giant. He became one of Israel's greatest kings. And his life was this incredible journey, this journey of, of big, big highs and devastating lows. And out of that relationship with God of highs and lows, David writes some of the, these psalms, which are like poems or songs. And in Psalm 103, he gives us some insight into this word blessing. In verse 1, it says this Bless the Lord, O my soul. Now, David doesn't start his prayer like many of us do. He doesn't say, Bless me, Lord. He begins the psalm rather focused instead of on himself, he's focused on God. And he says, I'm going to use my voice, I'm going to use my praise, I'm going to use my words, I'm going to use my adoration, and I'm going to focus them on the one who is the giver of the gifts. It's like he's reminding himself of the goodness and blessing in which which we all have through the love of God. So he says, bless the Lord, O my soul. Now, often my prayers begin with, God, here's what my need is right now here's what, where I need you to come through. But David says it starts off with, forget, forget about me. Let me glorify you. Now back in Genesis, when God created man, he formed Adam out of dust. But it says that Adam didn't actually become a living human being until God breathed life into him. Which means you and I are living on borrowed breath. And I can use that breath that I've that that I've been given for my purposes, or I can use it to give back to the one who created me. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. David looks in, in this in his psalm and he says, God, let me let me just give you all I have. And then he repeats it and says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He uses this word benefits, which is somewhat like the verbiage you would use if you had a membership at a, at a country club, and, and you're talking about the perks that you receive because of it. And we know that there are benefits to following Jesus. But David says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And then David is going to list five benefits of the blessings of God. So we're going to read them, and then we're going to break them down, each of the five today, and and we'll see what that looks like in your life. Number one, who forgives all your iniquity? Number two, who heals all your diseases? Number three, who redeems your life from the pit? Number four, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy? And number five, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's? See, David uses five things and five different benefits. This is what blessing looks like. You'll notice that he didn't, and in those five things, he didn't promise money. He didn't promise fame. He didn't promise a new Mercedes. He promised five benefits. He starts with this, God forgives. Which, which is not a surprise, because we know God is in the, in the forgiveness business. But many of us struggle with this idea that God can forgive Everything that we've done, that there's something that we did back in our younger years, or there's something that was just so horrible that, that God could never forgive. But David doesn't say that God forgives some of your iniquities. He doesn't say that God forgives most of your iniquities. He uses the word all. Anything that you have done is on the table when it comes to God's forgiveness. And so David says that he will forgive all your iniquities iniquities this is a word that we don't really use like in our everyday language but but it basically means sin sin is something that many churches don't preach about as often as they once did in previous generations sin was preached almost every weekend but today we have shied away from it a little bit because confronting people with their sin makes them feel bad but jesus didn't jesus didn't shy away from teaching on sin In fact, he was less concerned about how bad you felt about your sin and more concerned about how you would be affected if you left your sin unchecked. So David uses this word iniquity to describe sin because iniquity has a different connotation to it. In the Bible, there's three words to describe sin. Sin is one, iniquity is two, and then there's this third word, transgression. Transgression. And they seem to be the same word. They seem to be interchangeable, like I could put them anywhere. But these words have different connotations to them. The word iniquity means the sins of your thoughts. The sins that you you haven't acted out yet, but it's part of your thought life. To, To remember this, it's easy to think of the word inequity or to be inequitable with God. David says that he's the one to forgive all my sins, even the ones in my thoughts. The times when you're angry with someone and you just wish you could ah, physically harm them. Or or the the time that you're jealous over someone or something that they have. Or, Or the times that you think lustful thoughts. See, your thought life is the breeding ground for the sins that you will later commit. All those sins, God fully forgives when you seek forgiveness. Transgressions means the act of actually committing the sin. To trespass is to cross over the line to a place where you shouldn't go. To transgress is crossing the moral line to a place where you commit the act of sin, a place that you should not go. One is the internal version of sin. The other is the external version of sin. And so David says that God forgives not just the stuff you do, but the stuff that you try to hide that no one knows about. That's why at one point when Jesus is speaking with the Pharisees, he corrects them on the way that they view sin. He tells them that, he, I know you think that adultery is that when you, when you sleep with someone outside the institution of marriage, but it's more than that. He explains that when you, even when you look upon someone lustfully that's not your spouse, you have already committed adultery in your heart, which they don't, they don't understand. He's saying, what you're speaking about, when you, when you think this is adultery, this is transgression. The having of the affair, that, that, that is the, the, that's, that's sin, that's the transgression, but the thought process is sin as well. That's your iniquity. See, your iniquity is the breeding ground for your transgression, and both are sin. When you understand this, it actually sheds light into the prophecy of Isaiah. When, when, when Isaiah is talking about Jesus, in, in Isaiah 53.5, when you realize that iniquity is internal— Transgression is external. He says this in, in 53, Isaiah 53, 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And what Isaiah is prophesying here is, is, is when Jesus is taken to the cross, and, and that whole process where they, they unfairly try him and they beat him, and they nail him to the cross. And Isaiah says that he was wounded for our transgressions. Other versions say pierced. He was wounded or he was pierced for our transgressions. He was beaten, he was whipped, he was, he was stabbed. He was, he was, his wounds were apparent externally. You could see the wounds from the outside. And then it says he was bruised for our iniquities. The bruising comes, you can see it on the outside after a period of time, but it begins as an internal hurt. So God chooses these, these words carefully when he gives them to the prophet Isaiah. There's a difference between our iniquities and our transgressions. And so David states that God forgives us for all our iniquities. The internal that begins in the mind seeps into the heart and then comes out in our actions. One of the ways that you know you are blessed, and it's not who who finds the fastest moving checkout line, It is when you can walk in the freedom of knowing that God forgives you for all of your iniquities. That's when you can put your past behind you and not allow it to sabotage your future. Because you walk with the confidence of forgiveness. Now, let me clear something up. Many times you've heard someone in church say this, and with good meaning. You've heard them say that God forgives and forgets. But there's a problem with that because God is forgiving, but he's also omniscient, which means all-knowing. God knows everything. So if God knows all things, how does he forget some things? Well, when you read through the Bible, you won't find a verse that says God forgets your sin. But Pastor Roy, what about Isaiah 43:25? It says this, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and I will not remember your sins. Or Hebrews 8.12, For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. What he says here is, I will remember their sins no more. That's, That's not forgetting. There's a difference between forgetting and choosing to remember no more. This is God saying, I'm choosing not to remember your sins. For some of you, you've struggled with sins from your past. And I'm telling you that if you've asked God to forgive you, you need to let it go. You need to put it behind you. If God is willfully choosing to no longer remember your sin, you need to be able to do that as well. You you may feel like you will never forget, but you need to choose to no longer remember because God's done that for you. Number two, He heals you of all of of your diseases. Here's a question. Do you believe this? I mean, when you pray for someone who is sick, do you actually believe that God has the power to heal? Because for many of us, we are what you would call practical atheists. We, We say the right words, but we don't believe that it will make any difference. David purposely puts these two sentences together for a reason. He forgives all our iniquities, and he heals all of your diseases. This isn't the first time that we've seen these two things put together. In Isaiah 53, 5, earlier, we just read, but he, wounded, he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities. But if you continue to read on, it says this, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. So if you believe that God has the ability to forgive your sins, you need to start believing that he has the power to heal your diseases as well. Because he does. And he can. Number three. David says he redeems your life from the pit. Now, when I, I don't know what you hear when you hear the word redeem. There are certain pictures that come to mind for you. Maybe it's a a coupon that at the grocery store, or maybe you just got a you got a gift card or a gift certificate at Christmas that you need to redeem at some point. Well, my mind goes back to when my kids were really small, and there was this place that my little kids loved to go, Chuck E. Cheese. And when you're a parent, you just you just want your kids to be happy. You just want to see them have a good time. There's nothing better than seeing your kids having a great time. And so we frequented Chuck E. Cheese a number of times. And But I realize now that all these years are behind me that what a money trap that place is. I mean, the pizza is overpriced and it's subpar. The climbing structures, I don't know, they, they seem like they haven't been cleaned in like a decade. And, 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 and the parents just give kids tokens for this arcade and then just let them run wild and don't supervise them at all. But here's the worst part. As a dad, I would buy tokens for my kids to play the arcade games, and I love arcade games. I love these. I love the games where you're just gonna get the tickets, and there's this competitive side of me that comes out because I see what the high score is, or I see what the the daily bonus if you hit this mark is, and I just want to win so bad. And so we would drop like forty or fifty dollars in tokens for the kids so they could play for a couple hours, and and Jen and I would play some of the games too, and we'd win tickets, and we'd add all these tickets and put them in. Buckets and buckets of tickets. And so you head over to the prize counter with your tickets to redeem them for some prizes. And the prize counter always looks really cool. There's like all these neon lights, and there's this massive wall of some great, great prizes. And then there's this glass counter of not so great prizes. And so we head over, and we are thinking, we have so many tickets. I mean, they've probably never seen anybody with as many tickets as this. And I'm thinking, I I could probably tell my kids this. Choose whatever you want, kids. Anything is yours. Remote control helicopter we will take two. Teddy bear bigger than my car, bring it on. PlayStation, yep. And so they add up all the tickets. And we have like 900 tickets. And I'm thinking, wow, I knew we did good, but I didn't know we did that good. Let's see, what can we get? And you start looking at the prizes. And that teddy bear is like 10,000 tickets. The PlayStation is like 80,000 tickets. And so the, the kids redeem their tickets. They, they, they give them the 900 tickets. They pick out what they can get for. It. And when all of a sudden, all's done, all sudden done, they end up with like three Tootsie Rolls, a rubber sticky hand, and like a sucker. And they're all excited. It's like, dad, look what we got. And the practical part of me is thinking, well, I could have taken you to Costco and for like 50 bucks, I could fill your bedroom until you're swimming in Tootsie Rolls. You see, we think of redemption as giving or handing in something and getting something in return. But the biblical definition of redemption is to buy back something that was yours in the first place. And so when David says that he redeems your life from the pit, what he's saying is that at one point, your life used to belong to God, but it's because of your sin, because of your iniquity, you were separated from God. And because of God's unconditional incredible love he sent jesus into the world to buy you back why is this a blessing because every day you can wake up knowing with confidence that you are a son or a daughter of the almighty creator number four he crowns you with steadfast love and mercy it's interesting that he uses here this, this word crowns. And that symbol of the crown is attributed to kings and queens, but bigger than that, it represents authority. When you wear the crown, it gives you authority over the kingdom. And David uses this term here because he wants you to know that you have authority over your sin. That thing that you've struggled with, that you seem like you've prayed over and over to overcome. He says you have authority over that. God's put, has crowned you with the authority. His steadfast love and his mercy are upon you. You no longer have to be enslaved to that thing that's held you back. Number five, he satisfies your desires with good things. central word is here is desires. And this is the, I think this is the one right here that you could take out of context if you chose to. You might believe this is where the blessing comes from, where God gives me the car, where God gives me the boat, where God gives me the summer home. God wants me to satisfy my desires. But where we get this wrong is when we are the ones that choose to define what good things are and not allow God to. When you desire to have your heart align with God's heart, the definition of what a good thing is, it changes. A new vehicle satisfies my desire until it's old and I want something more, and then I'm unsatisfied. Or, or, My desire is to get so high in the company, and yet at the whole time, the whole time I'm neglecting my family, and then years later I look back and I realize I'm unsatisfied because I don't have a relationship with my children, and my spouse has left me years ago. See, God's the one that defines what good things are, and He knows what's good for us. So when you understand that being blessed is bigger than your temporary circumstances. It's, be, it's bigger than the temporary material things that you want. You're so much better off. See, as I was preparing for this series and reflecting on 2021 as we're heading out, I believe God was saying that we need to have a new understanding of what blessing is this year. Because 2020 is forever going to be seen as the dreadful year around the globe when it comes to history. That, that, that year that we just couldn't wait to get, get away from. And I believe that if we are going to experience God the fullness of God's blessing, that we need to know that even when things in the future seem better, uh, that as far as our situation goes, we are blessed now and we were blessed then. Because our blessing is not about our circumstances. I believe that if we're going to experience the fullness of God's blessing, as the way David defined it, I believe that we need to be all in. Uh, this is the, the, the phrase that for 2021 that God's kind of put on my heart. There's this phrase of all in. A church that's half hearted, lukewarm, it, 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 they'll just spin their wheels, they'll just be completely ineffective. But I believe that in 2021, we need to be all in. Too many Christians in North America play church. They choose comfort instead of allow themselves to be stretched by God. And then in, in turn, what they do is they, they forfeit the fullness of God's blessing, and they trade it in for something that's much lesser. I, I want to challenge you today to be all in, all in in your prayer life, all in in your devotional life, all in in your generosity, all in in using your, your talents and your gifts all in and telling your story and witnessing to others, I believe that in 2021, if you will go all in, you will experience the full blessing of God. And it's better than that. Because if blessing means better vacations, or if blessing means that that I get a bigger house, then the only one who benefits is me, at least superficially. But if my desire is to be blessed like David meant it, and I choose to stop playing games and go all in, the one that benefits are the people that are around me. That your impact on those people increases and ultimately your influence increases amongst them as well. I believe that God has prepared you, no matter what your age is, to be blessed and to be a blessing, leading others to become blessed by God. Let's pray. God, as we head into this next this next year, 2021, God, there's so many of us just want to put the, the past year behind us and move on to something better. And for good reason. There, there's been some tough circumstances in the past. But Lord, when we understand what blessing truly is? When we understand in the ways in which we are blessed, we realize that they're not things that are, that, that, that are superficial. They're not things that are material. They're not the type of things that normally people will, will uh, brag about on social media. That, that is something bigger than this. It's something that can't be taken away from us. And so God, I pray that this year we would redefine how we, how we look to be blessed and how we look at blessings and that we'd be so appreciative and so grateful for the things that you have done in our lives. And so God, I pray that in this next season, I pray as a church that we are all in and that we would, as a church, we would look to stretch ourselves in ways that maybe we haven't been stretched in years, that we would take some chances, we'd take some risks, and we'd take some risks with people, that we would spread the message, we would, we would spread the good news. And God, I pray that when we look back at it, when we realize that we were all in this year, in every area of our life as it, as a, as, as it relates to you, I pray we'd realize how blessed we truly were this year. Amen.